This is WNHH 103.5 FMLP, and you're listening to this Thursday's edition of the show. My name is Michelle Turner, and I have the good fortune of being the show's host, and we're on the road, because my guest is someone who is on the road. (laughs) Dr. Rafi K. Perry. And he's an associate professor of political science at Virginia Commonwealth University. He's considered an expert on black politics, minority representation, urban politics, American public policy, and LGBT candidates of color. Dr. Perry is the editor of 21st Century Urban Race Politics, representing minorities as universal interest. His other books are Black Mayors, White Majorities, The Balancing Act of Racial Politics, and the third book, am I correct in saying you're writing that now? Third book is finished. The third book is now finished, and it is The Little Rock Crisis, When Desegregation Politics, or What Desegregation Politics Says About Us. I can't even read my own handwriting. Dr. Perry is currently writing a book that introduces the lives and campaigns of black and open lesbian and gay elected officials in the United States. His bio is huge. I just took a little piece of it, but I welcome you, a gentleman of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. Yes, yes. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the show. Appreciate it. I am honored to be here. Thank you. This is so cool to have you here. I want to talk about the African-American community and the gay community in regard to religion and church and where we are now. Okay, so I know that for a fact, at least last statistics from 2015 said that there are about one million people who consider themselves part of the gay community in the United States. One million African-Americans. Those African-Americans, about 4% of them identify that way. And even though there's an irony that the largest populations are in the South, those particular cities or even states do not have any discrimination policies. So it's sort of a conundrum Mm -hmm. in that respect. Mm -hmm. But my my first question would be for African-Americans who are of the LGBT, let me get it right, LGBTIQ community. I got it right? Okay. What is the biggest challenge with them in the church? Because it seems that even though over the past few years, most black churches have become more welcoming, there's still a stigma. And I read some things over the past few days that said, eh, it's really kind of a myth that the African-American community is not accepting. You must have read some of my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess well, it, is it a myth? I would, is it a myth? I would say let's, let's step back for uh, uh, two quick things for the listeners to get some definitional points down. Okay. So when we mean the LGBTQIA plus community, okay. we mean lesbians, we mean those identify as gay, bisexual, uh, transgender, transgender. Um, intersex, and asexual. And we you add, normally often add a plus because there are other variations in there. Essentially what we mean are anyone who does not identify as heterosexual okay. or, or what we may, might consider a cisgendered individual. Okay. And so... Um, Thank so, you for straightening so that out. That's what we're talking about. And, and that population nationwide, uh, irrespective of African Americans, um, based on certain nationwide polls, mm-hmm. suggests that roughly 3% of Americans fit in this broad category. Okay. We all know that that's also underreported data. Yes. Um, I would expect um, that to be just and, because and of what it is. Exactly. Right? And also for the African American community, the uh, surveys that you were just um, uh, hinting at that, that suggested that we have about a million African Americans that identify somewhere on the LGBTQIA spectrum. Um, that is also uh, uh, suggested to be significantly underreported um, for a variety of reasons. One, it's fairly difficult to locate. 
um, these individuals because it does require some um, um, acceptance of mm-hmm. them willing to speak openly about their sexuality or their gender identity and their expression. Um, but, but secondly, one of the challenges of, 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 of the data points is that we really don't have um, a system in place from those of us who are in political science like myself or sociology or public health or other fields that actually do these types of s- studies. We don't have a really system in place on what types of questions you really want to ask people. So even if we do identify folks as LGBTQ, we don't really know where on the spectrum they fall. We don't really know how much their sexuality or gender expression really matters to them in their life. We don't know really how much that that impacts their political or social engagements and other aspects of their life. We have a lot more research to do. Um, um, so we can actually learn a little bit more about these people because the reality is sexuality has been with us since the beginning of human history. There have been people who have not been heterosexual that have been part of every major social movement in this country since the beginning of time. We've had different ways in which we have chosen to pejoratively and perhaps somewhat positively categorize or name these individuals over the millennium. Um, um, But we're we're at a fairly good juncture now where we are beginning to ask those questions. We're beginning to allow people to identify how to identify what we do know and I'll end the definitional stuff with this is that sexuality and gender expression is fluid meaning that now, yeah I was going to say explain that what it, fluid is meaning that it can change okay uh, social um, c- constructions such as race uh, and and, and, uh, and gender? gender identity and expression and sexuality are all um, um Codified really based on our social arrangements and the society con- societal context in which we live, and so it's it's easier or it's customary in many ways for us to try directly or indirectly because of just the way we operate in human society to try to fit within the boxes that mm-hmm. frame that societal arrangement in which we live. So for me, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in a middle-class urban family uh, of Christians that were active in the AME church. And and that particular community, right, might have a particular way in which many of them might manifest um, um, these ideas. But if you're somewhere else in the world or somewhere else in another mm-hmm. part of that same town mm-hmm. even um, or in part of different community networks, then it might manifest itself differently. And what that means for us today in 2017 is that don't be surprised if your own sexuality changes throughout the course of your lifetime or your gender identity expression. That's actually normal. Is it? Because for, for African Americans, you know, what we have been told, particularly when you're talking about the faith community, mm-hmm. is that you know, if you're not in that box, then there's something wrong yes, with you. Yes. You know, as opposed to having an open mind and being embracing, we've sort of said, well, you know what? Well, heterosexuality is the norm. Mm. And you ain't normal. Mm. So we don't want nothing to do with you because you ain't normal. And that's, um, to be blunt, it's just ignorant viewpoint. Um, particularly but they from based those, it on the well, Bible. That's what I'm saying. Particularly from those of us who identify as Christians. Um, because what we know about actual human history at the time of which Christianity was being developed and became the religion that we know it is today, mm-hmm. that in the era in which Christianity started, which is not the United States, which is not the Western Hemisphere, which is not <laughs> North America, that region, which is today the Middle East, that right. region, which is where we have some of the largest and most difficult conflicts today mm-hmm. in terms of human um, discord and purging of lives, that region... Um, was a region in which it was actually normal in many of the uh, cultures, particularly in the Roman culture at the time, for there to be same sexual um, loving partnerships and relationships in a particular way. And there are even some historians that argue that significant aspects of early Christianity actually supported um, um, same-sex same relations. Sex. Uh-huh. So, so it's not really fair to say that um, um, in terms of what's in the Bible or not. And then again, even if you get to the Bible, the reality is we have to face a few things, honestly. Most Christians have not read the Bible. Most black Christians have not read the Bible and definitely have not read every chapter and verse and definitely have not studied it outside of your Sunday school or Bible school Mm -hmm. context. Mm -hmm. That is really, really important to us to just be honest about. Many of us claim to be a part of a faith that we actually 
know little about. And the more and more that we grow up and get older in the faith, many of us actually stop choosing to learn about it. At a certain age. At a certain age. Mm -hmm. And we claim to just, you know, be followers of it. And you really don't know uh, the genesis of the faith as it relates to not just the spiritual context in which it developed, uh, obviously in this week of Easter, but, right. but, but, but in the social and political context in which it derived from the historical um, parts of earth in which the, the, the faith actually initially began. And I think that's important for just to be honest about. Uh, I think when more black Christians are honest about that, then, then maybe we can actually get to what Christianity is all about, and that's love. And acceptance. That's right. Because with in our community, we already have our own challenges. <laughs> you know, we have health challenges. Mm. We have socioeconomic challenges. Mm. We have gender mm. challenges. Mm -hmm. So when you combine that, and then you try to look at that through a different lens, it becomes... You can see how it becomes very claustrophobic, oh gosh, if you will. Water, That's all right. Thank you. It becomes very claustrophobic for someone who is not being accepted for whatever reason, mm -hmm. because you're you're already in the context of a person of color. Mm -hmm. So now you're doing something even what is considered outside the norm, mm -hmm. even though it's becoming more acceptable. Mm -hmm or accepted by people. And then and that's what we call secondary marginalization. It's this idea, uh, a colleague of mine, Kathy Cohen, uh, who is provost and professor of political science at uh, University of Chicago, from my hometown, Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> uh, she um, has a, a famous, uh, one of her early books out um, on this idea of blackness. And this idea, and, and it's related particularly to the AIDS crisis uh, in the United States, particularly in the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. but, but it's this idea that uh, these individuals, many of whom um, are members of the LGBTQ community, many of whom might have some relationship to HIV and or AIDS, uh, although not all of them, and um, <clears throat> that they would have... Uh, an additional marginalizing experience in their mm. own black spaces, mm. in their churches, in the community right. groups. Where, and so you're already marginalized vis-a-vis -vis the big other, and that right. is the white majority community. And right. then you go into your own black spaces and you're marginalized even further. The barbershop, the beauty salon, church on Sunday morning, or, or, or Saturday if you're Seventh-day Adventist, or what have you. And, 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 and all of the trauma that comes along with that, and the real derailment of the black agenda goals that occurs as a result of that. Who determines what is, in fact, the priorities of the black community? You know, why do we prioritize X over Y or A over B or group A or group B over... And, and church has the same relationship to this. And so what we realize in terms of the relationship between church, we're talking about, first of all, the narrow black Christian church. If we're limiting it to that conversation, the let's, Protestant, be, let's remember the Protestant that not all African -American not church. all African Americans are Christians. Correct. Not all are practicing. Right. Not all are Protestant if they are Christians. Um, and so let's be honest about it. If we're limiting it to the the uh, American Protestant uh, church tradition that African Americans experience, um, then what we're really talking about is a, is a history um, that really has not really been told accurately. Now, I'm a member of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, which is the oldest mm -hmm. uh, black organization, period, in the United States of America, started in 1787. Started uh, not just from a spiritual desire to, for African Americans to develop their own um, faiths and culture as it relates to Christianity, which of course was a religion that they were exposed to as a result of their right. slavery and their bondage from their oppressors, but that... Um, that, that they were, in fact, uh, started that AME church as a result of oppression that occurred in Philadelphia. Whereas there are other churches, the National Baptist Convention, for right. example, the Kojic Church, and other large Protestant denominations that did not come from that, uh, that oppressive history, did not develop right. as a result of that. And so their orientation to, to kind of what the priorities are as, as black Christians are, in fact, slightly different. Uh, it's one, and and so, so we need to be clear about the fact that there is no idea of a monolithic black church. Mm -hmm. Everyone's black just church like, experience is different. Just like there's no, even though we're still battling stereotypes, there's no specific 
typical African American person, family, oh, no. man, no woman. No, exactly. Exactly. And, that, and that's a challenge that all of us have to be willing to not just accept, but to fully welcome. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to go to church and be tolerated. Right. I've been to those churches. It's nothing to go to church and be welcome. That's a little bit better. It's better to go to church and you are fully embraced. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the one space where you're supposed to be fully embraced. But the reality is, here's the challenges that we have in church. How many of us go to church and we know the names of everybody on our pew? How many of us go to church and we actually know what so-and-so's health challenges are, what so-and-so's economic challenges are? How many of us go to church and actually have taken a young person under our wing to help them grow and mature in the faith and in society? How many of us have done that? And the reality is, most of us have to say, we have not. We have not. And to me, as a follower of, of Christ which is what you claim to be as a Christian. Not a follower of John, not of Paul, not of Matthew, not (laughs) of Christ. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, then you should ideally, right, know something a little bit about this man named Jesus from Nazareth. Yeah. Right? And if you know a little bit about him, then, then, and a little bit about what his goals were, and how, particularly how he said he came to bring a new law, uh, particularly as it relates to you know their old law being that you right. know I I, you know, I want you to um, love God as uh, as you love yourself. Well, I think what Jesus realized and God realized uh, um, was that well a lot of people don't even love themselves. Right. So I don't want the law to be that you need to love others as you love yourself. No, I want you to now love others as I have I loved you. you. That is a different commandment. And if and if you claim to be a Christian. And you gaze at the homeless, and you are begrudgingly give that dollar every week in the benevolent offering, and you can only give a dollar, and yet you can go out and spend five dollars at Starbucks right after church. If you are that Christian who claims to love everybody, but you have, you know, you have a um, a son or a daughter or a grandson or a niece or a nephew or a neighbor or a child kid on your block who is being terrorized because of their sexuality or because of their height or their poverty or any other right, thing that right. they can't control and you don't do anything about it you have to ask yourself how good of a Christian you are um, and you know I found this the other day on Twitter the Pope actually said something interesting um, Pope is cool you know and the Pope said something interesting the Pope said and I'm paraphrasing him the Pope said essentially it's better to be an atheist than a bad Christian mm. and I think a lot of us have to be honest a lot of us are great church goers Correct, and are bad Christians. I I would I would agree with that. I would agree and, with and that. To me, this the sexuality discussion has to go has to go back to that. You know how many how many churches are we going to continue to allow to disparage women and not allow women to preach the gospel? How many churches are we going to continue to allow to look at people who come in and disheveled and maybe not dressed appropriately, not having on the best new outfit, and then turn their way or, or turn your nose up at them? How many churches are we going to allow to shun our our children and our young people and our adults and, and our adults. pastors yeah. and our deacons who are LGBTQ? How many churches are we going to allow to do that and then claim to do so in the name of Jesus. That's the problem I have. If you want to do that on your own, in your right. own negative and ignorant, pejorative ways, I can expect that from human beings because human beings, we fall short of the glory of God. <laughs> but don't claim you can do that in the name of Jesus. Well, here's the question. I guess there's a couple of myths, if you will, that we have to talk about. You know, there's one that says that the LGBTIQA community is not interested in attending church at all. That's so there's no reason to reach out to them. But don't you would not necessarily... My thing, I guess, is how can you say that when you're not welcoming? So why would I be interested in going to church if you're not welcoming? Oh, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's a catch-22. Uh, um, the and you just you just talked about that, but you know it, it's it's this myth that people have that they're not interested in going. They're not interested in going to church. Well, on the one hand, you're right. Why would I be interested in going to a church where I cannot be myself? 
where everyone else can come in, hold hands with their partner, look, hug their wives, all this stuff. But I can't bring their do, babies. I can't bring my significant other. I can't bring my boyfriend, my girlfriend. I can't bring my fiance. You know, you know that's you know that's a there's a problem there. And so on the one hand. This is the world, the world we live in where we read headlines and we don't read the stuff below the headline. Right. And so, yeah, if you read a headline that's saying the LGBTQ people don't like going to church, well, that, in many ways, yeah, that's right. If they have had an experience, <laughs> likely, as many of them have, that was so negative and disparaging. I know people, some of my closest friends, who were raised Christian, have the worst experience, and they have not gone to church since. Well, In decades decade or more or five years or more or whatever and why would they go and you know I am someone who myself had to take a few years off from my own denomination for a variety of reasons in part because of this issue and you know I've just I've just realized that for me and everyone's testimony is different but for me I want to work within the organizations that I feel as though um it might be beneficial to work from within to try to change it from within than to just simply sit uh, on the sidelines because my daughter I took my daughter to church we first of all she wasn't happy that we changed churches Mm. so I take her to this church a little bit smaller but still in New Haven and the reverend decides to have this whole lecture on why he's not going to marry people of the same sex Mm. and my daughter was horrified oh I would have walked out she was horrified I didn't know what to do I would have walked out I I was just like I'm like a person that'll stand up like in the middle of it yeah I I would stand up and just left so I was at so I'll give you another simple story in my own church that is part of the Amy Church, but its members and, and its church leadership in particular, particularly the senior pastor, are fully embracing of everybody. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I wouldn't be there. Right. Um, <laughs> and but we allowed uh, a few months ago some young speaker to come in. You know, you know no one really vets speakers right. and all of right. that in churches. It's not like this is the president. You know. Right. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and and this speaker came in and was young. It was even a fraternity brother of mine. I was excited, da, da, da. and everything was fine except one line. And the line, I'm paraphrasing, was basically he was making fun of and laughing about in the middle of his sermon about transgender individuals and their quest to use the bathroom of their choice. Oh and he thought it was funny. Sorry that I'm. And, that, and it just wasn't. The fact that Trump's first action was revealing that, I was like. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Makes a big yeah, difference. It makes a big difference. I was like, makes look a big at you and your big shoes. Right, exactly. Oh my gosh. Oh. Um, Sorry. No, 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 no problem. So that to me, okay. to me, the problem of that, um, and, I got, and I left, and as soon as I was walking out, you know, a lot of church members, you know, were asking me, are you okay? They were worried that I wasn't going to come back. I said, I'm not worried about that. So I, understand, I understand the context. This is a guest, I'm not a member of this right. church. You know, it's not, you right. know, pastor didn't approve, didn't see anything beforehand, because I'm sure pastor, Had he? pastor would have said, mm, 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 no, we, we don't right. do that here. You know, um, and so, so, so I understand that, but that, but am I going to sit there and tolerate it? To me, um, I just simply cannot. I mean, and to me, it has nothing yeah. to do with my own identity. Right. It was just the way I was raised by two right. loving heterosexual people who, who who found it not robbery to actually love uh, their children and all the uniquenesses that they come in. You know, and so I've been blessed and privileged in that way. And um, and so, but I recognize that so many of us experience those microaggressions all the time. Like the one you said about your daughter, um, and and the one I experienced um, in my own church just as a witness. And those are types of times where you have to come up and say something. Yeah. And so I chose to you know text the pastor and told him, for example, why I was walking out, mm-hmm. so that he knew. You know, why not you were just doing not that? Yeah. Was just, so that it was clear that this was not okay. Um, and and so. Um, and that this is not in the spirit of Jesus. You know, then right. the day, this is not about church. This is not about, you know, joining a particular denomination. This should be about your relationship with God. That's what we should be doing. That's what we church. should be talking about. <laughs> that's, that's what we should be That's what we should about. be talking about. But now, and it goes, part of this too is within the church, there's, as we know, 
The civil rights movement started in the basement of churches when soldiers came home from World War II. And they, a lot of them experienced discrimination and they were saying, well, wait a minute. I just fought in World War II. I just freed Germans. I just freed Jews. I just freed the French. You name it. I was there. I was a part of that. But yet and still, when I come back to the U.S., I've got to ride on the back of a sleeping car. I got to ride on the back of the bus. This is not what I did. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those soldiers came home and started working in civil rights. Like Megar Evans. Yes. Bayard Rustin, who was an ejector, still was very affected. Um, and uh, because he was a gay male, he was shuttered and basically kept behind the scenes with the March on Washington, but he was the sole organizer of that march. But my point is, with that said, there are African Americans who don't see the gay rights movement as one of civil rights and on the other hand you have surveys that have been taken with Protestants who consider themselves Christian and they say while you can't connect the civil rights movement we do understand hate crimes We do understand terrorizing folks, keeping folks out of bathrooms. But we still don't want you to say you're being discriminated against. Oh, gosh. There's 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 so much there. Um, Essentially, is the LGBTQ movement, queer movement, is the gay movement past, present, and future, is that likened to the civil rights movement uh, and the short answer um, is yes and no um, no um, in that at the end of the day uh, they occurred at separate times mm-hmm. the movements they involved slightly different in some cases shared but also slightly different constituencies the goals uh, in many ways were the, many ways were the same. There's a lot of cross pollination, but in other ways, were in fact and are in fact different. Um, but you cannot ignore the similarities. Uh, um, uh, so, so you can have it's just like having an argument with someone and choosing not to be, you know, disagreeing, but choosing not to be disagreeable. Correct. You should be able to see if you have, in my opinion, any critical thinking skills about you that if you have one plight of the marginalized then 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 presumably you care about others and this is one of the challenges that we have today in today's society with particularly with a lot of young folks a lot of folks are really very narrow in their idea of of the Freedom Project, mm-hmm. very narrow in their idea of what it takes to actually achieve universal freedom, mm-hmm. have disparate understandings of what freedom is for various groups and various for themselves. People. Yes. Um, and we, so we need to understand that. When you and I say freedom, we might used to have the same banner up on the street corner, but freedom to you might mean something different than to me. And media is not going to unpack that. Right. We have to unpack that for ourselves. And we have to be honest about that. And, and the reality is you cannot have play this oppression Olympics. Oh, I'm somehow more oppressed than, than you. you are. I'm more marginalized than you are. Oh, I want the gold medal for oppression. Like, first of all, no one should want that medal. Correct. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's not a medal I want on my wall. And, and secondly, why would you even engage in that type of 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 intra marginalized community discord. Why? What what benefit does that solve you? In the grand scheme of life, particularly if this is related to our uh, perhaps our Christian experience, uh-huh. where you know that it's a global religion. Jesus was not born in the United States, right. did not live in Connecticut, was not raised in the South. And not, is you not, know, let, that's not <laughs> And it's on. not Italian. And it's not it Italian. Right? You know, right, yeah, like, right. So so be honest about Maybe he was 
who you revere um, and who your deities are um, and what you believe. And I think when you do that, then it forces you to recognize that while we might have differences, at the end of the day, our fight really is the same. And the fight is about equality, uh, making justice a reality, um, and, and as Dr. King said, really making real those promises of democracy, which requires us to do something. Uh, I just wrote, I had an opportunity to write a devotional, Lenten devotional piece mm-hmm. for the Human Rights Campaign, mm-hmm. the, you know, the nation's largest LGBTQ advocacy organization based in D.C. And it was, you know, they had a series of, of uh, postings for each of the 46 days of Lent, um, are, uh, the, the, from written from different people's perspectives yeah. from around the country, but mainly in the uh, American South, because uh, I'm based in Richmond, Virginia, and um, and all of their different perspectives about how we as openly LGBTQ people, you know, honor our our, our God and uh, how we can best do so and how we would encourage others to do the same. And my piece was about doing justice. And, and for me, much of my research, much of my activism, and much of my faith in God is does come to the idea of doing justice. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, a very simple idea. It, comes, it actually comes from Isaiah. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a biblical commandment. People want to talk about commandments. And the commandment right. was, you know, keep ye judgment and do justice. Um, and that your fasting, your actions as a Christian should be not about all this other stuff that we focus on, but should be about freeing the prisoners, should be about um, uh, helping the oppressed, should be about helping the homeless, should be about, this is all in the Bible. These are the things that you're supposed to be doing. No, it's not about the women's tea, it's not about the men's breakfast, it's not about, it's not, those are the things that keep a church going. Right. As an institution in an American right. context. But the Bible says that wherever two or three people gather, that is where he therefore dwells. And so that does not have to occur in the church. That does not have to occur in a sanctuary. It does not have to occur with a pastor present. There's, I mean, all those things are helpful. Right. But they, they aren't necessary to reach God. That's very clear. And, right. I, and so for me, if you are someone who says that your blackness somehow is different from someone else, um, who has a different challenge, then I would just encourage you to read more. I had a great conversation, I'll never forget this, over New Year's Eve. It's a very similar conversation with a very fervent black Christian from the South. We're just, I was just sitting New Year's Eve in Miami on a break in my hotel, and there's a black guy came up, him and his wife, beautiful family, and his wife was going out to go do fun stuff. He just wanted to relax. I just wanted to relax. <laughs> so we ended up talking. Lo and behold, we ended up talking about black church and religion. I ended up revealing that I'm gay and so on and so forth, blah, 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 blah. And he ends up having all these issues as it relates to, you know, uh, the relationship between black Christianity and whether or not you can be gay and so on and so forth. And so, and, and the point is this. After about two hours of talking with him, he gained respect for me and my point of view, and I gained respect for him and his point of view. And that's really what we have to do. We have to sit down and actually have. I was going to say dialogue really needs have to real happen, dialogue right? And and not judgmental dialogue. Not oh, I'm waiting for you to say, waiting for you to stop talking so I can get my point in dialogue. No, none of that. Like real substantive, listening, relaxed dialogue. And you're going to learn a few things about all the perspectives. And for me, as an educator, I'm a lifelong learner, so I love those types of conversations. It helps me in my own quest for universal freedom and for others to have it as well. And so, but it starts with that. And so, and if you, I think if you have those perspectives, then it makes it very difficult for you to be anti-women, for you to be, for you to not be a feminist. To me, anyone who's not a feminist, I don't understand how you can claim to be a human being. If, if anyone who does not support the LGBTQ community, I don't know how you can claim to be a human being. If you don't support the poor, I don't know how you can claim to be a human being. If you don't support those who are uh, stuck in convalescent homes and, and um, um, poor standards of care um, by the state and by private organizations or by our educational system or what have you, then you don't, and to me, you have a, it's, it's going to be, I, the questions I ask folks is, how are you going to face St. Peter? Mm. This is the one that challenge I have the Republican Party right now. <laughs> I'm not anti the Republican Party. I'm anti the ways in which the party has moved so far outside, I think, the, 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 the bosom of Christ that they claim to be, you know, such, you know, experts on. And I don't know how you can claim to be uh, the political party that has such a strong evangelical Christian component to it 
and and, and then one you elect a, you ha- have a presidential candidate who's now the president who has really no Christian experience. Two Corinthians, uh, exactly. Two, and that's a clear <laughs> indication, right? Anyone who says two Corinthians clearly does not part of the isn't part of the socialization, right? And so is un, is unaware. Um, so not only that, but then you have you know. Uh, folks who are are in that same party who are signing on to um, not welcoming refugees, which is completely against the Bible. Right. Uh, signing on to um, uh, allowing gay conversion therapy to continue to occur. Signing on to allowing the gender gaps in, in between women and men and and um, their pay to continue to occur. I don't understand how any of those people who claim to be Christian are going to be able to face St. Peter. I really I really am not trying to be funny. judgmental or funny. I really do have that serious question in my head. How can you claim to do that? And of course, their argument would be perhaps, well, if you're a Democrat, then maybe you're pro-choice and yada yada. And you know, that that you know, how can you claim and that's to do another those end either? that's another end of Christianity that's going against everything that the Bible stands for when you start to talk about reproduction. Perhaps, but pro-choice is not pro-abortion. Correct. But that's the label that it's been given. Yes. Yeah, but, but we can't allow that to be the label you then wear. Well, the other piece in that, too, is, again, it's dialogue. It's not necessarily educating folk in the traditional sense, but really sitting with someone, like you said, and listening. Mm-hmm and trying to understand their point of view. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, like for instance, sidebar here, I went to a few weeks back, um, a radio uh, conversation Mm. on Sanctuary City, which New Haven is, but you know, they're they're fluid with that definition, Mm -hmm. okay? And there was one Republican there and he talked about how there are people who feel as if, you know, the so-called immigrant is taking away jobs, taking away educational opportunities, taking away what is considered to be the American right Where's to work. Where's the evidence for it? Well, here's the thing. Any other time in my life, I probably would have stood up and argued him down. But I listened because I'm in the place where I don't understand when somebody shows you themselves Mm -hmm. the way that number 45 has. And you went ahead and voted for this man. Mm -hmm. What is it that makes you vote for him when you say, oh, well... You know, he just says that stuff. Oh, I can understand that. I, here, here's the actual reason. And people don't want to admit it. And, and the folks who voted for him won't admit it. Americans are very afraid of increased diversity. Mm-hmm. Because they think that they are going um, to lose well, whatever no, it is. No, no. Well, well I don't know if they think, I don't even know if they think that they're going to lose something. Some people do and some people don't. They're afraid of diversity because, first of all, most of us do not live in diverse environments, including people of color. Yes. Most of us self-segregate. Most of us, in terms of our residential living choices, in terms of our school choices, if we have them, in terms of our employment choices, if we have them. And our church. Who we go to lunch with, who we go to, like, what community groups we're a part of, our churches, exactly. So we have to be honest about that. All of us are complicit in that in various ways. Um, But people are fearful, and, and what Donald Trump recommended to folks is that, hey, if you elect me, and what he represented in this context was that if you elect me, then, oh, well, you know, you can be assured that this concept of, of white power and supremacy as it manifests itself through, let's be clear, a very gendered male-powered lens structure, yes, that that is going to be still okay. Mm-hmm. And people, and so so a lot of black folks of color, particularly young uh, leftist liberals that I know, 
argued, well, you know, the issue with the election was Hillary was the bad candidate, and oh, Hillary, you know, uh, she she supported super predators in the 90s, and oh, you know, she you know she signed on to so many bad, terrible things that her husband did in the 90s, uh, and 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 so on and so forth. And that, oh, we should blame, you know, white women and white folks in general who voted for Donald Trump. But particularly, we should blame white women. Not, you know, no one else. And what we ignore is that, well, white women are also part of the same white patriarchal system. Many of them have bought into that system because they benefit from it in many ways in Mm -hmm. terms of their relationships with their spouses or their baby spouses. Um, So they have bought into the patriarchal system. But just because you are a woman, let's be very clear, does not mean you're a feminist. Correct. Be very clear. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. That because I've had, <laughs> I've had, I was very surprised in my conversation with a few young white women who said to me, "I don't even know what feminism is." Mm, yeah. Mm. So I don't understand why I should call myself that. Mm. And I said, "Well, honey, there was a time when you couldn't wear pants anywhere." To me, it's very simple. Do you believe that women and anyone who does not identify as a cisgendered male has the right to do and be and go in any way and position uh, throughout society as you do? And if your answer should be yes. <laughs> and if it's not yes... I don't understand how people understand that. How do you separate that from the mama and grandmama and auntie who raised you? Yeah. You're trying to say that those those people don't deserve can't be can't be president of the United States. You're trying to like I don't understand. I really don't understand the argument. Like all of us, first of all, all of us come from women. Regardless of your relationships with women, right? Because you maybe everyone hasn't had a positive relationship with their uh, their guardians uh, who are women in their lives. I can understand that. The reality is, you all come from a woman. You would think, you would think that people would be willing to accept uh, women in that way. And this is a really an American phenomenon. Several yeah. other countries have had long, long had women prime ministers and presidents right. and so forth. Uh, for decades, and, and we haven't gotten to that because we are a very patriarchal, male-centered, white-centered, still country, and and Donald Trump reflects the continuance of that trend, and people are very fearful of that. And frankly, a lot of us people of color did not do enough to ensure he did not win, um, and that is very very concerning to me. We had he was endorsed by the Ku Klux Klan. Endorsed, yes. Not just liked, right. Not just tweeted by, not just talked about glowingly in a few articles. No, actually officially endorsed in their newspaper. And we people of color, in many places, is not doing enough. So if you lived in uh, New York or Connecticut that you know is going to go blue and it doesn't matter, why did you not drive to Pennsylvania and spend an hour of your weekend to knock on some doors there for the candidate of your choice who was not Donald Trump? Why you know you have, we have to make those types of decisions. You mm-hmm. know, if you were you know registered in Ohio but you were going to school in uh, California. Why would you vote in California when you can vote in Ohio where you know that vote is going to have it's, it's a little bit more importance? It and matters. so, and you didn't do the deadline stuff and the and the uh, in terms of the absentee ballot and all of that, you know, then, then then you have that problem. Then then you were complicit, maybe indirectly, but this but is where education comes in. You're complicit in Donald Trump. You're still, win. yeah, you're still. And, and for uh, for me, I think we need to. It's not about blaming, but it's about doing as Dr. King did in his failure in Albany, Georgia. It's about debriefing. It's what we do a lot in social justice circles. After we talk and we deal with difficult issues and complex things, we have to debrief. And we have not done that about this last election. And we need to do that, particularly as it relates to the issues that matter for black people and for LGBTQ people in this country, so that we can move forward on the same page together. Because what we failed at, we, we did exactly what politicians want us to do of both sides of the aisle year-round all the time. We were successively splintered. I was just going to say, was there a wedge? So therefore, instead of us really coming together and saying, okay, let's put our so-called differences aside and let's work together to make sure that this man is not elected. That never happened. Because you had the Mark Lamont Hills, the 
Eddie Glaude's, the uh, Cornell West, the um, um, uh, Steve Harvey's of the world, um, who were going around saying in various ways that it was better, and the Colin Kaepernick, of, of my frat brother of the world, folks who were engaged and had mouthpieces and had audiences, were literally telling their black audiences to either not vote for Hillary Clinton or to vote for someone who had zero chance of winning, like Gary Johnson or Jill Stein. Or and, don't vote at all, or because don't I vote heard at that. All. And I have had several conversations with these individuals, and I, to be honest, have learned a lot from them. And I would mm. encourage all of us to have real, dialogic, not judgmental conversations, because that's the only way we're going to come together. And I told one of these individuals uh, last week in New York, myself, I said, look, if me and you can agree, because we actually agree on the end goal, but we right. disagree on the pathway there. To, to take if it, me yeah. me and you can agree, that is a symbol, I think, to um, to these two movements that really are occurring in the black community but going in slightly different pathways toward the same goal of universal freedom that, that we can actually come and build this and do this together. Um, the, but the issues are, are, are very simple. A lot of people of color have mistaken um, political pragmatism and incremental progress as it relates that, to the Democratic Party. They yes. mistakenly equated that with this notion of neoliberalism, this idea that was really founded out of white conservative Republican politics in the Reagan era in particular that 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 really suggests that the system is so corrupt um, that every layer of it needs to be dismantled um, 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 in order to really eliminate the, 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 the significant levels of intransigence that these various um, um, systematic and structural uh, units within the social and political institutions that we are governed by in which they um, pass laws and make statements that have a really negative influence on African Americans and people of color and so on and so forth. My point is that I don't equate neoliberalism with political pragmatism. To me, there are two different things. The idea that you as a person of color, you as the black person in particular, believe that you cannot, should not, or even dare I say have a morally righteous reason for not voting because the candidate of your choice of some progressive flavor in particular perhaps is not on the ballot or that you don't like the ones who are on the ballot so you aren't going to vote at all, even if that means writing in your own name. To me, there, there's not a win for that type of an argument mm -hmm. because if, if the idea was that black people should wait until you had the best candidate, then we would have never been voting. Correct. Because you never had that option. Correct. Um, and if that's the case, then, you know, screw the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. Uh, you know, that, just ig ignore it. Ignore the Civil Rights Act. Ignore the Fair Housing Act. Just ignore the Voting Rights Act. None of that stuff matters. Apparently, because you know, my candidate didn't, my candidate didn't win, and my, and my far progressive values are not being evidenced in this election. Well, the problem with the whole, that whole process is that if you have an issue, say, for example, with Hillary Clinton, you had an issue with the Green Party um, and, and with the two-party system. You think the Green Party or some other third party should have a chance to govern our politics? Then I want to see you involved now. I want to see you going to neighborhood meetings now. I want to see you on the street corner now. I want to see you donating to these organizations now. Not three months before an election. Not two weeks beforehand. Now, if you claim to be someone who's anti-two-party system, fine. Then go support the third-party candidates in your local neighborhoods. Go run for school boards yourself. Go run for planning boards yourself. Go run for zoning boards yourself. Go do that work yourself and do it year-round. To me, I have respect for that, but I don't have a lot of respect for the individuals that claim to be so anti what has worked, albeit slowly and incrementally, from the Democratic Party standpoint, at least since 1964, uh, to keep it narrow. Um, <laughs> and, but, and, but, then, but then you show up as a Johnny come lately, 30 minutes or three weeks or two months or five months before the election, and then you have a problem with the whole system. Or you weren't involved with the assistant, the elections already going on. Midterms mm -hmm. right now are November 2018. Right. And if you claim to have an issue with the way this 
presidency is or the way this Congress operates, that's also an issue that we are to blame for. Republicans did something very smart in the last 15 years. They were focusing on local state elections while Correct. many of us were being duped by the media and other sources to believe that the national story is what mattered most. No. If I say nothing else today, I want to be clear to your listeners that if you want to be involved and you care about marginalized people and people of color in southern Connecticut, you need to be involved in your local and state community now. And that means an active participant. That means a voter. That means attending community service meetings. That means starting organizations. If the organization that espouses the values that you believe in it doesn't exist, then create it your own. Uh, that means that means really putting your belief where your mouth and your money and your time is. And if you do that, then, you know, and, and it doesn't work out, at least you can hold your head up high and say you've done what you can. That's the way the system works. It is a participatory system. It, it only gets better by participating. And what it will not do is get better by solely being anti the system and working outside of it to change it. We need people doing that, absolutely. I don't say that needs to be stopped at all. In fact, it needs to be revved up. But we also need people in the boardroom. We also need people in the policy room. We also mm -hmm. need people running for office. You also need people willing to talk to the president and the governor and your state senator and the mayor and your alderman and your state rep. And if you are not in those spaces, in addition to the street corners and the neighborhood centers and the church basements, then, then you, I really do question how real your commitment is to this thing called Freedom Project. Well, how do we come together? Mm. Because we know that everything starts with dialogue. Mm -hmm. And we know that you have to really be an open-minded listener mm -hmm. in order to gain knowledge on somebody else's experience. Mm -hmm. So where do, we, where do we go? What's the next uh, step? Um, <laughs> and, and for you cool. all, he is rubbing his eyes and face. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's a really hard question. Um, one, I think it starts with a belief. You gotta believe that you can come together. I insist on believing that even though that I vehemently disagree with some of my own best friends, mm. people I love to death, who I couldn't convince to vote for the candidate who I thought, in the short term, had the best chance of doing the best for people who I care about uh, Broadly, because I care about everyone, but particularly in terms of the needs that need to be met now, in terms of women's issues, people of color issues, LGBT issues, and poverty issues, and education issues, and so on and so forth. Um, and I couldn't convince them, even in swing states, um, to vote <laughs> for a, a particular candidate. And that, you know, really bothered me. And so, but I haven't given up hope. Um, I haven't gotten jaded. Uh -huh. I haven't given up on the system. Uh -huh. I haven't decided to stop learning. A lot of us have to do a few things. So in terms of coming together, first, I think you have to believe that you can. Second, you have to be willing to listen to people who come from different experiences from you and people who you think come from the same experience. Just because they're in the same block, same neighborhood, same school, or even the same family doesn't mean you have the same experience. Correct. Doesn't mean you believe the same things. Doesn't mean your approach to this is the same. You gotta be willing to broach those conversations. This means start them. And you gotta be willing to not be defensive. And you gotta be willing to listen more and talk less. Um, I guess the third thing I would say, in, in addition to one, believing that you can come together, and two, um, actually being willing to listen more to people. Um, the third thing I would say in terms of coming together is that you actually have to do something. Um, you can't, that includes social media involvement and posting and sharing and commenting and that is a very worthy form of engagement. Mm -hmm. But that alone is not enough. Um, and it means yeah, I guess you have to do something in terms of sacrificing your time, sacrificing your money, sacrificing your talent um, to actually help people where you are, wherever that is today. If you're a high school student in a high school that doesn't have a, um, a NAACP Youth Council, you mm -hmm. can start it. If you're in a high school that doesn't have a P-Flag or Gay-Straight Alliance, you can start it. Uh, if you are an, are you're a college student and you're new to New Haven and you don't know how to get involved, you know, look on the websites that we all have access to and find out the community events that you want to go to. Use the Yale shuttle to get there. Use the public transportation mm -hmm. in New Haven to get there. Mm -hmm. You know, call an Uber to get there. Um, stuff like that. Um, 
other ways we can come together is by actually choosing to invest in uh, the belief that we as a community are only going to solve our problems together. And that means when you do find that disagreement, when you do um, invest that time and it still doesn't work out, and you lose that election, or mm-hmm. you don't get that opportunity, or you see in the news that there's yet another person that's gotten shot in an unfair way, or whatever, and you, and you and you feel frustrated in those moments, you've got to believe that change has never occurred overnight. And and so it begins and ends with belief, is my point. Because one, you got to just have the belief in the game that you can come together. Mm-hmm. But then you also got to believe in those moments where the system is still crappy, in those moments where you still have your heart is pained because such, such and such happened that should not happen. Uh, you cannot give up on the system then. Our foreparents, our forebearers, our ancestors, it's the problem that I have with history and our relationship to it. We love them. We love calling them our ancestors and all the work that they did and the civil rights movement and anti-slavery and so on and so forth, now that many of them are dead and gone, we don't honor them while they're alive. Many of us aren't honoring those people in our families right now today. Your grandparents, your parents, your aunts, your nieces and nephews who have been through the struggle, who have fought. Oh, we're not talking to them. We're not calling them. We're not asking them what it was like. Right. We're not learning from those. And, and, to, and we can do that. We can do those small things. And if we do that, we're all going to become a little bit more worldly knowledgeable about how this stuff gets done. One of the things that I appreciate about the past is that you get to learn what worked and what didn't work. And yes, it's a different era now, and so some of that might not be applicable today, but at the very least, you learn strategy. And one of the challenges we've got is that you can't, you're not going to win a social justice fight simply on your belief alone. You've got to do the action. And to me, it's all about doing justice. Actually, which to me is is the idea that you actually have to make justice a reality. You actually have to do it. You can't just believe it. You can't just wave the the red, back, black, and green flag proudly or the rainbow flag proudly and call yourself someone who is in the fight. You've got to actually be a part of the group of folks that are making those flags. you got to be part of the group of folks that are picking up those flags from the ground after an eight-hour rally. Right. And, uh, you, you have to be a part of the group that actually invests and making justice real for people so they can actually see it. Because when they see it, they become invested for a lifetime. That's what my last book was about in terms of the Little Rock Crisis. Um, that when, when that for most of us who are people of color, we got involved in this politics stuff because we were, we, it, we were, it became aware to us as a result of how we were discriminated against in local and state issues. Desegregation of schools being obviously a primary example of that. Um, and so, and we realized that, well, it's in these local and state contexts that we get hurt the most. And that is still the case today. So yes, the presidency matters. Yes, Donald Trump is a problem for our issues. But if you care about that, you need to be fighting now to ensure that Congress looks differently come November 2018. And that means you know, investing in races and in people who are going to support your interests, even if that means supporting incremental, pragmatic, slow politics, even if that means supporting perhaps some of the um, things you don't like about a particular candidate or party, in, because the grand scheme of things, you know that they're going to push the needle slightly forward right. on your issues. But we, one thing we agree with is that Donald Trump has been a disaster for all of us. It's one that we agree on. But that's not enough. We mm-hmm. can't just come and sit and coalesce around the fact that we don't like Donald Trump. We don't like Congress. We don't like Congress because of the way the districts are drawn. The districts are drawn based on your state senators and state reps, who, by the way, in Connecticut and other places, are being elected this November or being elected next, next November. November yeah. And if you don't know who your state rep and state senator is, those are the people who, particularly in this next election cycle, are going to be drawing the district lines for Congress for the next 10 years. So if you don't like the way Congress looks, it's not just about voting those people out and voting new people in, which is what we have to do. It's also about voting in your state rep and state senate elections to ensure that the people who are in those seats who go report in Hartford for you and your neighborhood districts, that those people are folks who are going to draw lines that look a particular way that are going to advance their interests. And that means that we have to care more about our group interests 
what we what is the best decision here for your group and and for me my group largely is my african-american community and so what we find out is that that most african-americans historically and this last election has really somewhat challenged that idea but historically they vote differently than most other groups and that even if they are rich even if they have moved beyond the kind of uh, a low-income setting they and they're black they still vote in a way that for the decision for the candidate for the issue that is best for the group as a whole oh, right and that means that we have to continue to do that we cannot we are not and this is what's sad about it really we are not at the point in this society yet where we can vote our individual preferences solely and that's very sad that's how oppression and, and segregation and discrimination uh, white supremacy has worked we're not at that point. And the, the times that we have been able to successfully get a lot of stuff done, it's an argument I had with someone else the other day, it occurred because the majority of black folks were in lockstep, mm -hmm. what we call political science, linked fate. They voted as a block for the interests of black people, even if those interests were against their own individual preferences. So say you're a rich black person, it really doesn't benefit you to vote for the Democratic candidate. It doesn't. They're going to tax you a little right, bit. Right, right. But you also know that that is the group that's going to best represent you for who you are, what you believe, where you come from, what you look like, you know, your neighborhood associations and right, all of that. Right. So we have to continue to do that. We have to continue to do that. We have to vote our group interests before individual preferences. That hurts. That hurts. Still, I think for a lot of us, particularly if we're critical thinking individuals, that's rough. Because you might be, you might feel as though you're like uh, being an instrument of your own oppression uh -huh. in that sense. But in many ways, you aren't. You, you, what you are doing is signing on to the reluctance that, okay, for right now, this is what we need for the short term. And if this works out, then I'll, we can be able to perhaps move the needle forward toward my individual interests a little bit further. That didn't happen though last November. Instead what happened is that a lot of us said, screw Hillary, and we're gonna go vote for or not vote at all. Right. And you know, with, and, and enough of us did that, that in places like Milwaukee and Philly and Detroit, we didn't come out and vote, and look what we got. And we didn't just get four years of disaster. Let's be very clear, we got, generations of lifetime judicial appointments, which means your children, their children, their children are likely to still be subjugated against in negative ways because of what we did last November or what we were complicit in last November. And to me, this is a, this is a challenge that we should be willing to take up. We made a mistake, I think, last November in not voting as a community. Uh -huh. I need to be honest about that so that we can actually come together and never do that again. Uh, it should be an important lesson for us that while we thought maybe because we were in the right in the coattails of Obama and oh my gosh, all these things are going so well, yada yada, we thought that maybe we were a little bit further along than we were. Mm -hmm. We ain't there yet. Mm -hmm. We ain't there yet. And so to come together is going to require us to be willing to be uh, educated more and to actually um, um, be honest about our failures of the past in terms of our social activism and our political engagement. Um, and, be, and you have to be willing to listen to people and you have to believe that this stuff can happen and, and then even when it doesn't happen, you got to continue to believe uh, that it will um, because history shows us that that is in fact case, the case. The reason why we have the 30th Amendment is because black folks and white supporters did not give up. The reason why we have the 14th Amendment is because the Republican Congress, uh, which at that time was, of course, uh, likened to the Democrats and ideologically mm -hmm. today, um, uh, actively uh, insisted that blacks deserve to be citizens, it, it, making Dred Scott null and void. The reason why we have the 15th Amendment is because it's because black folks uh, said that, well, now that we're free, we have a right to actually, at least men, have a right to actually participate in our governing bodies. Um, and same thing with the Civil Rights Act and Voting Rights Act and Fair Housing Act. This has worked because black folks have come together and young and old have got, got uh, involved and said that this has had to happen. And, and, and finally, we also in, were able to work effectively with whites and building the coalitions mm -hmm. necessary to make it happen. To make it happen. This stuff is not going to happen 
of and by black people alone. It never has. We have to work with other groups, whites and others. Folks of native background, their story is the same, if not worse. Folks of Latino or Latinx background, their story is the same, if not worse. There's the, and folks of the LGBTQ community, their story is the same, if not worse. You can't tell me that Matthew Shepard's death is somehow any different from a black person's death murdered in the street by a white cop. You can't tell me that. You can't tell me <laughs> um, that there is a difference in terms of how we want to treat certain human life and not others. Not if you claim to be a Christian. Now, if you want to be somebody else with some other beliefs, then you know we can have that intellectual argument. But in, but in terms of the relation between the LGBTQ community, in particular, and the and the and the church, and those of us who are looking for kind of the way out of this abyss we're in. Uh, it requires us to be willing to be engaged and be willing to listen and be willing to really uh, continue the fight and continue the belief even when it doesn't work out for us. I have to stop you there because I'm about five minutes over. Yes. It's <laughs> my fault. I'm a professor. But, this is what uh, yes, you are a professor <laughs> indeed. Dr. Ravi K. Perry is an associate professor of political science at Virginia Commonwealth University. I thank you so much thank for you. being here today. Thank you. Thank it was you. great. I learned something. I got an idea in my head now about how to have discussions. Okay. And I need you to come back. I'm happy to. I would love it. He's got three books. Google them. I can't. I don't have time to read the titles. No, so you go to my websites, RobbyPerry.com. On Twitter, I'm at uh, Robbie K. Perry. Yes. Um, on Instagram as well. So, you know, hit me up. I'm happy to continue the conversation. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Love you being here. This is great. Yeah, I'm excited. Yay. <laughs> this has been the show on WNHH 103.5 FMLP. We stream, baby. See you next week.